Hello and welcome to the Wild Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Telkish, bringing you interesting and hopeful stories and experiences that bring you closer to your own inner wild. I thought I'd take a look at where we are in terms of seasonal shifts uh, since I haven't really done an episode since spring. And so now we're in summer and we're actually going into late summer. So I took a little breather to create different types of content that you can see on my YouTube channel and Instagram channel and all that. But let's talk a little bit about what we're experiencing as we've had more light, more heat, more activity in a holistic model. When you look at summertime, summertime's looked at as more of a part of the year where we honor the light, which is the masculine element in some traditions and in the tradition that I follow. So I'm going to be kind of looking at this from a holistic kind of more Greek perspective or European. There's many different types of perspectives out there. So I just wanted to disclaimer that, but the type of portrayal of the energy right now that I like to think about is that things are rising still. Now, because we're going into late summer and the dog days, it's just slightly starting to wane. (laughs) And so some people might find, especially in the deep south where it's been hot quite a while, um, I know when I'm in Texas in August, I start to get a little depressed if I'm not leaving on a trip somewhere (laughs) because it's been really, really hot for a long time. And that can fray on one's nervous system along with all of the political things that have been going on um, and social unrest from being attacked out on the streets over and over by law enforcement and federal law enforcement. And there is, you know, unrest in all of our political systems. Um, Money has just ran out. So basically we got through the summer in this light activity and we've basically been chugging along through this growth time trying to keep going but a lot of us may be feeling that our nervous systems are kind of frayed let's say and that this we i kind of call it crispy critter syndrome when you're at a point where you're starting to feel a little on edge and or maybe you already have and now you're really on edge and the dryness from the heat can make that worse so i'm going to give you a few strategies on how to bring a little bit more moistness and a little bit more coolness to your routine right now to keep you from getting your nerves to really snap because we don't want that to happen So (laughs) um, a lot of us are are just barely getting by, right? So let's talk about, first of all, what the wheel of the year looks like. So our longest day of the year being midsummer, now waning towards 
what we would call these these fall equinox in temperate zones if you're not in a temperate zone and it's a little fuzzy the light still changes most places except if you're living along the equator and that tends to be a little bit more akin to looking at lunar rhythms than solar rhythms but solar rhythms are looked at as being masculine and in the holistic medicine i practice and the idea is that there's energy of movement, energy of desire, energy of going, 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 going. And we have to protect our feminine side right now with coolness and moistness. So some of the things that bring that in food wise, which I'm guessing you already are going there because it's food is a very important thing to think about in a pandemic. Um, so I would say that right now things like melons cucumbers okra nopales and other types of juicy cool food um, sometimes some of these are going to be ruled by um, things like venus but venus is seen as a little warm in some ways but plants ruled by venus or the moon especially any moon plants and that includes foods right now that are cool and moist and something that you can get a hold of to help just soothe the mucosa and soothe your nerves and soothe everything so indirectly i'm not really talking about using sedatives necessarily you can you know a sedative like skull cap or whatever but if you do, I really recommend thinking about adding in a cooling demulcent herb like violet leaf or marshmallow or other types of soothing slimy things that coat mucosa because that's going to actually have a really nice effect for people. And that can be food and or herbs. So some of the other ways we cool off, believe it or not, and we do this a lot in the deep south, are with heating herbs or heating foods. So that's why salsa and, and spicy things are so loved in Southern climates because they actually cool, off, cool you off by making you sweat. So when you sweat, that perspiration will secondarily cool off your body. So as much as that seems counterintuitive, maybe that's another way to look at the energetics of the season is Yes, spicy foods are popular in this type of climate of, or I would say seasonal shift. So you might want to think about how that plays a part in what you're making. Like I, I really like doing things, um, having learned from living in Mexican culture for a long time um, in the deep south that, you know, adding in spice to things like uh, your watermelon watermelon with chili pepper is delicious so that there's even candy that's sold like that so so thinking about things like that how can you kind of balance things out with a little bit of spice or some slimy cooling things and in 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 the holistic models that i practice with the idea of using um, substances to balance is really important and looking at also how this masculine energy it can burn you out so what are you doing to keep grounded and balanced through this hot 
active time. So how are you balancing your relationships? How are you balancing your activity? Are you looking forward to where the cooler, drier times are going to be coming? And how are you going to be moving into that? So another element that's really come to play this year that I've been thinking a lot about is the element of air. Air has really come up a lot and spiritually as well as physically. And one of the things I noticed was this whole idea that when, you know, this happened like last November, but there was these massive forest fires, just real ex over expression of masculine heat and dryness with this fire that was raging in the Amazon and raging in Australia and all this, you know, destruction from it and dryness. And then we suddenly had a pandemic come out of it that really seems to aggravate this heat and dryness or is aggravated by heat and dryness and inflammation. So there's a lot of relationships that COVID-19 has to inflammatory issues in the body. So whether you have heart disease or um, diabetes, things like that cause mo more comorbidity because they're inflammatory. And that coupled with COVID seems to be um, not a good thing. So there's this, this idea of I can't breathe that also came from all of the social upheaval from the cons consistent and, and regular killings of black people in this country and others um, due to, to race and, and racism and white supremacy. This kind of thing led to a slogan of I can't breathe. And that was a terrible, terrible slogan. Um, but the truth is that I believe that on an energetic level, we are strangling um, not just others, but ourselves with the way we're treating the planet, each other, and the way we're living our lives. So it's just something to think about and how air plays a part in your life and in, in holistic medicine and Greek, especially it's air elements looked at as warm and moist. Um, so it's also looked at as somewhat mercurial um, and you want to think about how to do more breath work potentially or just kind of connect to your breath if you're feeling a little breathless this year. So just some thoughts that I've had as I've watched this whole pandemic ensue and I've been kind of holed up doing my thing. <laughs> We're going to, you know, see a shift towards drier and cooler times soon and I'll be talking about what that means. But right now I just want you to try to get through the rest of the heat by really propping up your diet and your everyday habits with things that are moist and cooling and activities that are moistening and cooling like swimming and um, doing breath work and meditation and yoga, things that are going to help to slow you down, not flow yoga, you know, not stuff like that, not Bikram yoga or anything, just stuff that's cooler and more centering to what you're doing. And 
Some of the herbs of the season that I also see come up right now are things like mimosa and peach and um, lemon balm even um, if you're in the deep south. Um, so these are a passion flower because it really gets going around this time of year. Uh, these are some sedatives and euphorics that can really help to lift the spirit and address nervous system issues. So just a little bit of some tips and tricks coming from an herbalist of things to think about as we're moving through the wheel of the year towards the dark. And um, that means that there's a lot of mystery coming our way. We've had a lot of crazy upsets to uh, the regular rhythm of things. And so I don't think that's going to stop. Um, I think we're going to keep seeing that go. Please do share in the comments if you have anything else to add to the, these types of observations. And I don't really have any, you know, grandiose claims to these. It's just stuff that I notice as um, as a practitioner and as a um, just person living in these times. So please do think about supporting that feminine side. And let's move on. Some of the things that you may consider doing in this time of the year in summer that would help support gardens and what is to come is going to be related to food security. <laughs> so of all years in my life as a human on this planet, 2020 is probably the most dire that I have seen as far as being concerned about food security and where things are going to be coming from and whether we are going to have enough. And I know that sounds maybe, you know, intense, but 2020 is intense. So summertime is a time when herbalists and gardeners will be maintaining and feeding beds and foraging. Um, we'll begin to harvest from the gardens in the summers all the way through the falls. And really, I want to encourage you this year to be canning things. It's really easy and it's a great skill set to use canning and pickling. There's so many times you'll grow green beans or okra or other things and not know what to do with them. And there's some great pickle recipes um, that I can, I'm going to leave in the show notes on my website actually uh, I'll, I'll link to it a little pickle recipe for extras from the garden it's important to think about how you're going to preserve all of your wonderful herbs and food um, especially in a year where to me there's a lot of people putting their head in the sands as it comes to what's going to happen next when we have a global pandemic we're already starting to see a little bit of things getting shaken up by, for example, if you go into grocery stores, sometimes there's things that are just missing now, and that's becoming quite normal. Um, if you're ordering online, it's taking two to three times as long now, um, and sometimes things are just out of stock for quite some time. So these are all things to consider when I say get prepared. This is a time to really think about food security and having extra for yourself. Um, that doesn't mean that I think you should buy like 500 pounds of everything and, 
can and seal all of it. I mean, maybe if you have the ability to, but at least have a little bit extra right now. And also think about how you're going to be able to prepare for if things were to shut down again. So I just want people to keep it in their head. I know a lot of us are in denial um, that, and we're going out and maybe some people are making decisions that aren't the best because you're just sick of it. I get it. But if anything, start to be proactive about what's to come and how you're going to take care of yourself and your family if things become short again because I have a really strong sneaking suspicion that is coming. So be proactive, get those berries. You could freeze them, you can make jams, you can make jellies, get the fruit going, you know, make wine, all sorts of things. And notice that food prices are rising. This is not gonna stop. And I think the true cost of food is yet to be seen. So take care of yourself and really think about post-pandemic, what do you want to see? Do you want to see only Walmart and Amazon and Target as being around? Where are you putting your dollars right now? Because what I wanna see is a world full of small business and entrepreneurship. So it's really important to support small business farmers, local farmers, and pay that extra $2 right now directly to the farmer and not to the big box store. Get to your farmers and support them. So with that, let's move on. Hello, Andrew. So glad to have you here. Thank you. I am wanting to introduce the audience to you a little bit more. And so I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into herbalism. Yeah, for sure. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, my name is Andrew Herrick, and I live here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm a cis queer clinical herbalist that trained at the Wildflower School of Botanical Medicine and now uh, practice here in town and see clients. As far as my journey into herbalism, I feel like it was always kind of this underlying factor of myself that I didn't really know like quite how to deal with or how to address it. I, I was just kind of reflecting the other day and thinking about like, even as a child, I would go out in the backyard, um, like whenever I would feel sad or just kind of, I don't know, like I would need to be alone. And um, I had this habit of going outside and building little tiny houses out of um, sticks and leaves, like in the garden that I grew up in. And um, I, I really didn't know like what I was doing at the time, but thinking back, I, I was like 
building houses <laughs> for little nature spirits, um, just that I could feel connected to something and just the herb world and the world of plants in general, I, I've just always been really drawn to. Um, and then flash forward to like being a young adult, I started getting really into herbalism and initially had wanted to go to university for that, um, but was, you know, steered away from that by my parents. And so as a result, it, I wound up going to school for something normal like psychology and completely hated it uh, and left school. And then when I was finally on my own, I was presented with an opportunity to begin studying herbalism in a organized fashion and uh, with guidance. And um, that's really like where everything came to a head with me where I like just fell in love with plant medicine and herbalism in general. And then, you know, being a queer identifying person on top of that, um, herbalism really has helped me just like on my personal life journey, showing me that plants are multifaceted in, in their healing capacities. Um, you know, I, I feel like all queer individuals tolerate and undergo certain amounts of uh, trauma in their life. It's just kind of part of it, I guess. Um, and really, if it wasn't for plant medicine and, and their ability to like hold space for grief and to hold space for me to be able to find out who I was and um, who I truly am, I, I don't know. Um, I really don't think... I think my story would have been a lot different um, if I hadn't had plant medicine to prop myself up with. And as a result, I mean, I just further uh, emphasize why I needed to throw myself completely into herbalism, just because I saw how much good it can do in someone's life. <clears throat> For me personally, um, that I became kind of really obsessed with doing whatever I could to like teach other people about it or just to be involved in the dialogue with uh, others about plant medicine and how it works and uh, how it can help heal your community. Um, right. So, I guess that's, <laughs> that's all I have. Yeah. And so, you know, just to kind of look closer at this idea of being queer and being an herbalist, do you feel like your experience identifying with both of those terms gives you a different perspective in some way or do you feel like you've been marginalized in some way as a queer herbalist or anything about that that you feel like resonates or um you know if I'm being perfectly honest um whenever I found the community of herbalism that was really such a like, I'm just, even thinking about it now, I, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude because that was really the first community um, that I had experienced that, like, welcomed me with open arms. Um, not only that, but, like, encouraged me um, to further develop myself because, I mean, when I first came into Austin, um, I truly, like, I, you know, I, I was still grappling with 
um, just the aspect of identifying as queer and like still really didn't know how to identify my own voice and, and I was still trying to figure out who I truly was. Um, and the herbalist community was so welcoming and really gave me a space to figure those things out for myself. Um, now being a cis male and someone who's like very like identifies as male, um, I, I feel like there is a tad bit of marginalization there, um, simply because I, there aren't many men in the herb world. Um, but then I feel like once people figure out either by me telling them or I don't know, just by them having a conversation with me, um, that they figure out that I'm a queer herbalist, I feel like that almost, um, nowadays, it almost like allows people to feel a little bit more at ease. I mean, I guess that's what I've felt um, mm -hmm. in dealing with clients and others in the herbalist community, um, that it's really a safe space for people to authentically express who they are and share a passion for plant medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and not only that, but experience like mutual support from that community. Um, um, so it sounds like to me that from your experience with herbalism, you almost wanted to create something for others to have that welcome in a way. I mean, that's one of the things I, I noticed is you, we're doing this new mini course that you're leading at the Wildflower School, Queer Herbalism, or Queer Herbcraft, I should say. And the, I'm just wondering if that, you, the, you know, your experience in herbalism and the herbalist community was part of the inspiration to offer this to a wider community or what you Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... The original intent behind Queer Herbcraft, um, I mean, and you touched upon it, it definitely came from a place of reciprocity where I um, I wanted to give the community a little bit more education on, on not only like how to deal with the queer population within a clinical herb setting, um, but also familiarize them with queer-centric health issues, you know, health issues that they would come in uh that would be more common uh, to come up against whenever dealing with a queer client, um, simply because, I mean, yeah, the community is very uh, open and very welcoming, but there isn't very much information on how to deal with the queer demographic um, verbally, just because we are, we are a minority um and as a result I, I just feel like there isn't that much um engagement or or uh, participation really and so i feel like um queer craft is hopefully the catalyst for really positive dialogue between uh, client practitioners and really anybody who's curious about um queer-centric herbalism <clears throat> um yeah. yeah, I think that one of the things that, you know, we discussed when you were making it is that you you wanted to make it approachable for both clinicians and the general population. So because there may be I mean, I'm guessing there may be people who are even, you know, at different places on their journey and and identification as queer or non-binary in some way. And <clears throat> I, I'm. I'm wondering if this is also going to be addressing, you know, 
places for people to enter so they could go deeper to explore their own relationship with herbs as somebody who maybe they're not they're not even sure where they are on their path is is that something that you were thinking of too when you were um doing this or oh absolutely and, and i feel like that point is i feel like it most heavily resonates just in like the title queer herb craft um because i mean queer just the term queer is a reclaimed term um quite recently that's just like a broad generalized umbrella that encompasses a bunch of tiny micro communities within one larger queer community so it, it really doesn't matter whether or not you identify as gay lesbian trans non-binary um two-spirited gender fluid gender queer i mean this is geared towards anybody who identifies themselves as queer or wanting to participate within a dialogue of the queer community, but it just facilitates that dialogue to be plant-centric. <laughs> um, and, you know, there even is a section on uh, herbal allies for queer mental health, which, I mean, yeah, of course, we talk about depression and anxiety um, and certain disorders like that, but there also is a lot of talk about, <clears throat> uh, like, the use of flower essences, um, and even like subtle vibrational medicines that truly sometimes from my experience, those medicines have the heaviest impact, um, in helping people either develop their voice or become closer to their most authentic self. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of times you don't need to engage in like, uh, medicinal forms of plants like tinctures or teas or whatever, uh, to receive that healing energy. Yeah. Um, you know, and your yeah, and I think another thing that this is making me think about is I'm I'm reading the book White Fragility right now, and it's talking about how <clears throat> some of the people who have the best intentions are actually some of the most racist individuals, right? And I'm I'm also seeing you know the intersection of whether it's um, you know racism or homophobia or other types of oppressive behavior towards people in more of a um, minority in this country, um, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, a lot of practitioners and or just well-meaning herbalists or people um, might need to even do this course as a way to unlearn or deconstruct some of the uh, misunderstandings and some of the some of the things that they may be walking around thinking that they're doing that is helpful, but is actually not helping at all and is actually oppressive to people in the queer community. And one of the ways that I think about this, and maybe you can tell me about this, um, is I remember a story where you told me you went into an herb shop and you wanted to buy Shatavari, which is a wonderful, um, you know, adaptogenic plant. And... Um, you know, you would try to buy it and somebody at the herb store said, no, that's for women. And yeah. I thought that was really funny because plants don't really think about, I don't think plants would think about things in, in this binary sort of way. And one of the things about being an herbalist for me is that we try to get people out of boxes, not put them in more boxes. So I th just wonder if you had any comment on that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, I am. Um... Yeah, and and I remember telling you that story. <laughs> um, I um, 
I mean, it definitely was one of those moments that caught me a little off guard where I was like, oh, well, like that concept was new to me, like gendering plants. I had never thought about a plant being more masculine or more feminine when compared to others or vice versa, whatever. And being an effeminate gay man myself, like it, that it took a while for me personally to like recognize, acknowledge and respect the amount of femininity within myself. Um, and whenever I first heard that, like I said, it, it kind of hit me sideways, but then I, I kind of took it as a compliment, like from the plant world is like, should, like I was buying Shatari at the time because maybe Shatari the plant, she had recognized the divine feminine within me. And like, maybe I needed to adjust something like that within myself. Um, so it didn't matter if it was for women only <laughs> for that person, for me, like I was taking it to acknowledge my own divine sacred feminine um, mm -hmm. because everybody is definitely has that dualistic nature within themselves. Um, but yeah, I, um, I definitely feel like at, at the beginning of, uh, queer herb craft, there is a section on, <clears throat> uh, just some brief education around terminology using uh, non-binary language and also queer-centric language. Um, and I feel like if anybody is struggling with either wondering if they're doing anything that is actually enabling the current infrastructure or if they're wondering whether or not they are being oppressive themselves, um, I feel like taking queer herb craft is a way for you to lean heart first into that dialogue with yourself um, and maybe confront some of those aspects of yourself uh, and kind of provoke for you to ask yourself some questions around how you feel about stuff like that. Because I, I mean, even like give just for example, give the word trans, like I, even using that in language, which the word trans is okay to use, but for some reason, sometimes I notice people get really uneasy um, whenever you say words like that. Mm -hmm. um, and queer aircraft, I feel like the intent behind it, I meant to not only deconstruct the stigmatization around words like that and, and the anxiety that people get around addressing issues regarding the queer community, uh, but like I said, it also offers you an opportunity to lean heart first into that work um, and actually engage in a positive way and trying to rewire that way of thought and hopefully like get you really jazzed about doing some really positive work for your mm -hmm. queer allies and your queer friends and mm -hmm. your brothers, your sisters, whoever. I mean, we're everywhere, girls. So <laughs> I, uh, I really just I'm really excited about it. And and like it definitely came from a very genuine place within me of simply just wanting to help the community um, and maybe spark a positive dialogue. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, you know, I think we're trying to be as aware as possible in um, during a time which I feel like our communities and our culture and just humans in general are going through a big shift um, the time of recording, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And I think life as we know it is being questioned. And, and maybe it's a good time to question a lot of our behaviors 
um, you're seeing a lot. I took a big break from doing the podcast because, and I'm going to talk about that in this podcast because I really had to step away and just reflect for a while and look at what was going on around me. And in the midst of, you know, the, I can't breathe George Floyd protests and all these other, um, you know, cultural revolutions and exposures of systemic racism, even greater. I mean, I think that we're at a time where we're going to make mistakes. Like all of us who are in positions of privilege um, are going to make mistakes. But I think it's also a time that we need to take extra time to offer education. And we're in a in a time period where it's really important, I think, for us to have more education in the holistic health world and herbalism where we can address different types of um, more, I, I don't want to say minority, but more marginalized community experiences of or underserved communities also that we start to really focus on creating more educational opportunities for folks to really explore these little, you know, nooks and crannies. So, you know, I think it's just one of those times in, in society where in, in our human life <laughs> that we need to maybe think about um, these things even more. So I was really excited to um, invite you to, to definitely go go crazy with it and do do whatever we can to get the word out and I love that you're doing that part of it for free you're doing like a free part of the lesson right that's uh there's going to be like just different definitions and yeah, yeah. It's the first module and uh like I was saying earlier it's it really is uh just provides like um a solid foundation in queer nomenclature um, even like a little bit of slang terminology that really, it sounds goofy, but people, especially if you plan on being a practitioner and working with a demographic, you need to be aware of, um, because it is like within the queer community, there is a, oh, just like a, I don't know what I'm trying to say. There, there is a certain amount of, um, like a speech pathology that goes along with the culture that you need to be privy to in order to handle situations appropriately. Um, and you're right. I, I really feel like we're living in a time where we're realizing that our, like the Western limited reductionist way of viewing things isn't serving us anymore. And we're seeing the result of where that's gotten us. The mm -hmm. infrastructure is beginning to crumble a little um, and thank God, because like you said, it's giving marginalized groups like the queer community, the community of color, um, and indigenous communities, a little bit of time for us to allow for our voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. um, well, I don't I, even know if it's allow. It's more like, I think I see pretty much that, I mean, this is just my opinion, but it seems like people are sick of it and they want to, they are going to be they will be heard now. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as it should be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and so back to the first module, it is going to be offered for free, but it does give you a little bit of a glimpse into what we're going to be talking about. Um, but like I said, it does give you that foundational knowledge of like, oh, okay, well, it, it helps to peel back those layers of um, 
I like those layers of privilege of like I, I feel like and I've been talking about this a little bit with just members in my community and some people when I say like oh yeah no I've been working on this really cool series it's called Queer Herbcraft and it's all about queer centric health issues um, a lot of people are like oh that's cool like I have a gay friend like that would be really awesome for them to take and it's not necessarily like they're like oh cool I would want to right. explore something like that it's like oh well I know a gay person who'd be cool with that <laughs> um, I'll send them your way and it's like well thank you that's very sweet but like this <laughs> yeah. is really what I'm hoping to be a catalyst, like I said, to start a positive dialogue, not only with yourself, but also your community, um, and to give you a little bit more education and insight into our community. So it sounds like you're welcoming everybody to take this class, that it's not yeah. just for, uh, you know, people who identify as queer, uh, um, but well, for everybody, right? Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> for everyone. And it's probably even more important that folks um, consider that when they just, you know, again, marginalize something because they see a certain word just, you know, and, and say, oh, it's not for me, it's for them, um, when we're all in, in this together. So um, one of the things that I also wanted to bring up was something that I've, I've found a lot with my friends and clients who are queer and trans and um they've entered the healthcare system and they've been quite abused by uh, the medical world and either in mostly language and then the way that they're treated when they walk into a space. So there's, from what I've gathered, a lot of trauma associated with um, this abuse. Would you agree with that, or have you noticed anything? Yeah. Like no, I would completely and entirely agree with that statement. Um, <clears throat> and in fact, even in the first module, the one that is going to be offered for free, it does touch upon the importance of, as a practitioner, um, you need to come from a trauma-informed place um, and provide person-centric care. I feel like in the allopathic infrastructure really does not exist for the queer community. Um, and even, like, just drawing from personal experience, I, I mean, I myself have experienced marginalization within the allopathic system and just um, been pumped full of pharmaceuticals um, just to, like, try to feel closer to who I was really supposed to be when really there were, like, larger underlying issues at play. In, within a series, we explore all these health issues holistically instead of just listening to symptoms and, like I said again, like applying that reductionist uh, way of thinking. Right. Um, what do you think that the, what do you want the big takeaways from this course to be? Uh, I mean, the big takeaways, I, from the bottom of my heart, would hope that any individual who takes this course would walk away feeling not only empowered, but also somehow more complete. Um, like, like I said, this, this whole entire series comes from a very genuine place of compassion, but also concern uh, for the lack of education that I've seen in our community around queer health issues. And so I would hope that 
whoever engages with this series leaves it feeling like they not only feel more well-equipped to handle um, health issues that arise within the queer community, but also um, feel like they would be more empowered to like stand alongside us during this fight where we're trying to uh, get our voices heard so desperately. Yeah, and also I, I would guess for people who just want to know how to take care of themselves as well as take care of other folks. So it's both clinicians and people who are just experiencing different types of health issues and just coming to this from a more of a queer perspective from somebody who maybe, um, you know, I know you identify as a cis male, but you most likely had more experience in some ways than a lot of other um, hetero identified um, practitioners, you know, not to be stereotypical because there's always no, an exception. Like I said, I am, I am a femme cis male. So I like, there are inflections in my voice and sometimes the way that I present myself are a little bit more feminine than what would be deemed like socially acceptable by a normal cis straight person. And so, yeah, because of that, I, I you do, you do experience a, a lot of prejudice, mm-hmm. which, um, I mean, looking back on it now, you, you kind of, uh, become desensitized to it at some point and are numb. Um, and so that's why for me personally, that also helped me find herbalism. Um, mm-hmm. and so for anyone engaging in this course that, and of course that would be one of my hopes as well is that if you are, a queer identifying individual and you take this course is that I hope that you find something in this course that helps you find your way to your most authentic self. And I truly hope that you leave the experience feeling a bit more complete than when you arrived. Right. And that's great. And do you see that there's, what do you see the future of queering herbalism to be like if, and I want to know also a little bit about like what's in each section of these um, of the course, so what people can expect. And then, what do you see with the future of this course? Like, are you going to bring in more guests, or like, because I know you're one person in this sea of queer experiences too. And and what are you doing now with the sections, and what do you plan to do in the future potentially? Yeah, absolutely. So. For this particular series, Queer Herbcraft, um, there are five modules so far, the first one being the free offering, uh, which just gives uh, anyone who's interested generalized information and education around uh, the queer community. And um, it gives a little bit of information about queer-centric herbs that you might want to use. And then the next section is... um, lesbian-centric health issues and issues for people with internal reproductive organs. Um, And so we go through a list of, statistically speaking, what are the most common health issues that a practitioner might run into. Um, And then at the end of that section, we go over like a very brief materia medica um, of like what plants you would want to rely on and their chemical constituents on how to write that imbalance within that individual if they were suffering from that particular health issue. Um, and then it progresses into the third installment, which is 
gay-centric health issues or uh, individuals who have external reproductive organs. And then with the same format, we have a materia medica at the end. And then uh, we lead into trans-specific health issues where we go through uh, pharmaceutical transition protocols because that's another thing where that I've noticed is that especially, I mean, allopathic providers, they barely have a grasp on uh, what those pharmaceutical transition protocols entail. And a lot of them just prescribe them without properly preparing the individual for the emotional repercussions of the transition, the physiological repercussions of the transition. Um, and as a result, I that's why I see a need for the practitioner to educate themselves on the side effects of these medications, what the medications do to the body, how they interplay with the hormones, where herbalism can come in to help aid that process um, and help support the individual during their time of pharmaceutical transition. Um, and even afterwards, if they decide to go through surgical transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end with the fifth module where we dive pretty deep into queer mental health issues and then herbal allies that you would want to rely on during that time. And for the future, what I would really like to work on and what I am working on currently is bringing in other individuals who are also queer and herbalists who are actively practicing um, so that we can make this a huge communal project. Now, granted, like, (laughs) I I have pretty lofty goals for this, um, (laughs) and, and I have been working towards it really, really hard. Um, but my dream is to bring in other voices of other queer herbalists so that uh, this can serve as like a really sturdy platform to not only educate and inform others about uh, queer health issues, but also um, like queer concepts within herbalism. Uh, there are some really cool herbalists that I know who are doing uh, projects around like decolonizing uh, certain plants that we use within the Western herbalist tradition, or um, <clears throat> they're degendering certain plants. <laughs> so I, I'm really interested to see where this can go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be really excited uh, to hear what other people think and feel after taking this course. So yeah. yeah. Or would you want, you know, for, if people hear this, podcast and they say that they think that they have something they'd like to add because I mean from what I know we were discussing is that there's so much that could go into this series and we wanted to kick it off with you know introduction kind of a mini course but in the future if you were to grow this into a larger course would they be able to reach out to you somewhere or how would people who are interested in the course or want to be involved as a teacher even reach out to you yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am getting much, much better at um, becoming more present on social media. And so you can always reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, my name is Andrew Herrick. First name, just Andrew Regular. And then the last name, Herrick, is H-E-R-R-I-C-K. And then on Instagram, my handle is wildhearthandhome with underscores uh, in between each word. And, and I'm always there like if they wanted to reach out to me there they totally can didn't you start an instagram too oh yeah 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 and then um (laughs) the queer aircraft instagram 
And you can also uh, send me messages on there and interact me interact with me uh, on that platform. Um, but that's queer herb crafts all together. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. So there's like a Facebook. Yeah. There's also Facebook. Yeah. So queer herb craft. Um, just look for him either through Andrew Herrick or queer herb craft. Yeah. I know it's, it, there's a lot with social media and know that he's actually working a lot of times with clients or in the garden or in real life. He is actually an herbalist. So there's, one of the things I've noticed in my experience um, in the herb world, there's a lot of people who talk about herbalism a lot, and then there's people who are actually practicing herbalism a lot. And sometimes the people who are practitioners um, are not as easy to get a hold of in you know a two-hour period. So you might have to wait a day or two for somebody to actually get back to you. So it's but that's because I mean I know I know you well enough to know that. You're actually working with plants and people a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, and thank you. I um, but yeah, I mean, if anybody like goes through the whole entire course and feels so inspired, I would love to hear from people. And so, yeah, if you find me at Queer Herbcraft on Instagram or Wild Hearth and Rome or Andrew Herrick on Facebook or Queer Herbcraft on Facebook too, um, I'll be checking all of those. And so, yeah, I mean, as long as you're like understanding and give me at least 24 <laughs> hours to get back to you. Yeah, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> Great. Well, that's really exciting. And I'm so honored to have you as part of the Wildflower School team and to just see you grow this new series and um, definitely uh, want to see where this goes. So thank you again for your time. Well, thank you, Nicole. <laughs> to tell the story of Oya as well as I can and this is because it's not my tradition but I do feel that the energy of Oya is really manifesting right now and I'm talking a lot about energetics in this episode and this um, Orisha, which is a kind of like one of the hands of God, so to say, a spirit that's, um, you know, manifests and can help people. And this is coming from the Yoruba religion in Western Africa that also is um, has spread through Haiti and Brazil and other places. And so this, this, um, spirit worshiping is much bigger than um, one part of the world at this point and it's believed the Orishas moved with the African people so when they were um, brought over here as slaves and um, the spirits came with them and Oya is the Orisha of change and she's one of the final um, when there's seven and she that are more um, spoken of and worshipped from what I understand and one of my dear 
friends is a practitioner. So I got to have all sorts of really interesting conversations about Oya and I've kind of steered clear of the of the Orisha traditions, um, but the once I started learning more and more about her and her energy, I wanted to share her as a um, divine force because I really resonated with her a lot. And I know so she is the Orisha of change. And she is depicted with a sword or a machete. And I think about it when, from everything that I've read about her and discussed with some practitioners, um, she embodies to me the tarot card called the tower. And the tower, you know, when you get the tower in a spread, that means it's coming down, whether or not you want that tower to come down in your life, it's coming down and you can fight it, but it is going to happen. And Oya kind of brings in that energy. Things are changing whether you like it or not. Um, and she's also a fierce uh, warrior. She's a powerful Orisha of storms and tempests and cyclones and is thought to be, um, you know, a river deity. And she, as much as she's fierce she's also looked at as being kind from what I see and you know this is this dualistic nature that you see in a lot of different stories she is sometimes seen as a water buffalo and depicted as a water buffalo and she's the mother to nine children and you must always from what I understand mention and honor her nine children with her and so um her, her nine children that did not um, make it, so they passed. Um, but her color is purple or burgundy. And um, some of the offerings for her include the eggplant, um, she, red wine, coins. And she signifies upheaval, sudden change, and destructive forces that are necessary to make way for vibrant new growth. And one of her names, Oya Ajere, I think you would say, is carrier of the container of fire or queen of death. She's also thought to kind of, um, you know, guard cemetery gates and, you know, death is change, right? And one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about with the Black Lives Matter protests in this um, in the point when George Floyd called out to his mother I really feel like he invoked this energy of Oya and called to her. And we've seen what happened since then. So um, she's thought of also as the um, goddess of the weather and female leadership and transformation, kind of associated with Scorpio and also mama Bridget and you know Bridget as in some ways they said there may be some connection to the Celtic goddess Bridget in some of the stories I've been reading so you can you know you who know more than me can give me more in the comments and tell me if I'm right or wrong or how you see we are depicted but uh, you know there's lots of goddess stories and so I was trying to find a story about her and just read about her and most of what I found is stories about how she 
was married to Chongo or Shango, however um, you would want it pronounced. And, and I wanted to find something that was just her. And what I was told by uh, somebody who does practice under this tradition is that most of the stories are oral and they are not written down. So um, I don't have it at my disposal, but I wanted to give you her energy and her name and her background um, as the savage warrior and the protective mother um, who sweeps injustice and um, creates newness. So, you know, and they also say that on the battlefield, she turns into a man with a beard and wears pants, um, you know, in the older stories. So this is um, just an energy that in general, I wanted to um, bring up and some of the scents they say are associated with her patchouli sandalwood and geranium uh you might think about whether this does resonate is there an energy or a goddess or a type of deity that really calls to you or a saint or somebody who really manifests what's going on in the world and when you're meditating or kind of trying to change your experience in this world sometimes bringing these deities or saints or however you believe whatever you believe in to your everyday life and asking them <laughs> if they can guide you and leaving offerings and thoughts and intentions so whether it's Oya or other deities um, this is something that you might want to look further into and um, don't be afraid of the unknown and know that change has to happen and change is is sometimes hard and hurts and so that's where we're at and we have been given a chance to really start with something new and so let's move on and get into this new world together That's it from me today, Nicole Telkish of the Wild Spirit Podcast. Thanks again for joining me and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the comments or you can leave me a message and you can find out more on our website, wildflowerherbschool.com or you can go to my Patreon account and support the podcast there. Have a great rest of your day or evening.